Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com, and this is another football-focused edition of the Take 10 Podcast, where during college football season, we bring in a national media member to break down past weekend's events in not only Big Ten football, but also on the national level, and look ahead to the next weekend, what's coming up in, in the college football world. So this week, we had on a member of the national media, member of The Athletic, and the All-American, which is the college football arm of The Athletic, and he also covers college basketball as well. That's Brian Hamilton. Brian actually is a BTN analyst as well. He's in studio. So I uh, stole him from the TV side for a little bit and uh, sat down in studio to chop it up about Big Ten football, football at the national level, and uh, you know, kind of reflect on the weekend that was, week two in college football, and look ahead to week three. So on top of uh, Brian's interview, which we'll get to in just a moment, we also did our regular stat head segment, which, if you're not familiar, is uh, our segment with in-house researcher Harold Shelton, who breaks down Big Ten football kind of behind the numbers and, and gets a little more in-depth and uh, gets his fingernails dirty behind the scenes as we uh, march along here in the early season non-conference play. So it's always good to catch up with him weekly and, and kind of get behind those numbers. So before we get to those interviews with Brian and Harold, I just want to issue a couple of quick reminders. First, if you have not subscribed to Take 10 Podcast already, please do so on Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or YouTube. And uh, YouTube's kind of unique because you can subscribe to the Big Ten YouTube channel, and that is where all the Take 10 Podcast episodes are housed in their own separate category. So if you're listening on SoundCloud right now, definitely uh, hop on over to one of these subscription services, and that way you won't miss an episode of the Take 10 Podcast because we have one every week as we move along through college football season. And we'll continue to talk college football with the uh, best and brightest members of the national media and with Harold Shelton. So continue to be a lot of fun. So definitely uh, subscribe and and you won't miss a beat. All right. We will start with our discussion with Brian Hamilton from The Athletic. Got into uh, everything that happened in week two. Got into some of the the disappointments and some of the big performances. We looked ahead to some big week three matchups, including really probably the biggest matchup we've had so far outside of Michigan and Notre Dame. That's Ohio State TCU, which is going to be down in Arlington, Texas. Definitely talked about that game, talked about some implications of uh, what we've seen and how it projects moving forward, and uh, plenty more. So let's get right into it. It's my discussion with Brian Hamilton of The Athletic, and it starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined here in studio by a senior writer who covers college football and basketball for The Athletic. He's also a studio analyst for us here at BTN. Find him on Twitter at underscore Brian underscore Hamilton. It's Brian Hamilton. Brian, good to be here with you. How's it going? It's going good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, it's cool to have you here because I've followed your work for a while uh, at the Athletic. You're the guy. And before that, yeah, exactly. I'm the guy you're the guy. mentions. But um, before we get started, we got to address the elephant in the room, which is the fact that your company, The Athletic, is kind of taking over the world. So did you know when you joined <laughs> that, that this thing would get so big so fast? I, well, you hoped. Um you know, I, I think uh, I, I, you believe that guys um, who've done this before in other venues, not to get in the weeds with, you know, what Adam and Alex have done beforehand, but they know how to run something like this that caters to really passionate people and gives them the quality they want. Um, and so when they tell you how they want this thing to go and what they're after you know it's not hard to to believe what they say and when you're asking you know 
would you rather chase clicks and do videos and you know run all over the place or do in-depth quality work where you actually get to sink your teeth into stories and really put time and effort into things it's a no-brainer choice for me i mean as a writer it's all you can ask for is the time and resources to do things i mean now the way i look at it you know when i grew up we had the big sunday newspapers that we always stopped for right after we got bagels and those sunday sports sections always had your you know your 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 local sports stories and your national stuff all in one big thick section every week we're like the sunday old sunday newspapers every day Right, based on all the local stuff and the national stuff we have, so I mean, it's it's astounding how much we've we've grown in a year and the, the value we give people. It, I mean, it kind of blows my mind even to think about from where we were a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm a subscriber and I've really enjoyed it, and it's hard to believe for me. You know, like I followed since it started here in Chicago a couple of years ago, and it's hard to believe how big it's gotten. But I definitely recommend to listeners out there if they haven't subscribed to subscribe to the Athletic. And um, so do I. Free yeah. trial. Athletic.com free trial. Give us a look. That's another thing. Yeah, I sign up with the, the discounts. Seems like there's always good discounts out there, so definitely recommend it. But we'll get into some uh, college football talk now, Brian. And uh, I usually start these episodes by asking for some initial impressions of what the experts saw and uh, what you saw over the weekend. So we'll start in the Big Ten. What are a couple of things that stood out to you, just overall big picture from this weekend in the conference? Yeah. Um sort of some disappointing efforts um, and some rejuvenating efforts all over the map. You know, I mean, y- you looked at a team like Penn State answering some questions pretty emphatically. Um, I wondered after that week one game against Appalachian State where they didn't even have as many big plays as this huge underdog coming in to State College did, were we going to see some regression without Joe Moorhead, without Saquon Barkley? Could Trace McSorley find enough weapons to to really get recharged and get that offense going again? And they just owned Pitt. I mean, it wasn't even a contest in almost any phase of the game. So that that was a huge answer. Um, you know, Michigan rebounding nicely. Again, I mean, the quality of opponent maybe wasn't extremely high, but – they did not look that great against Notre Dame in week one. So them bouncing back a little bit um, is impressive. Michigan State, you know, I, I think some problems just continued to be laid bare there with, you know, inability to run the ball, inability to finish drives with touchdowns. Um, you know, you can you can blame it on playing late in the desert. And, I mean, Arizona State's got a quality team. We can talk about Herm Edwards and kind of the surprise that they are later on. But, um you know, Michigan State has some things to fix early on. And, I mean, Ohio State just kind of keeps rolling. You know, I mean, not that anybody really expected Rutgers to give them much of a game, but um, the Urban Meyer absence certainly has not been felt when you drop in 77 and 52 on your first two opponents this year. So, um, you know, I guess what you saw is what you'd expect the first, you know, Northwestern up and down the first couple weeks. Purdue, you know, a, a, a well at least a tightly fought game against Northwestern and then upset in week two. So, you know, teams still figuring it out. I mean, that's kind of always what happens. And I think the better teams in the league are kind of who who we thought they were at this point. Yeah, ups and downs for sure. So how about on a national level outside the Big Ten? What jumped out at you this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, overall, there's just there's no surprises. I mean, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Washington, Auburn. I mean, these are all the programs that were good last year and they're they're good again. I mean, that that the same programs are driving the discussion for who's going to make the playoff, who's going to be the national championship favorite and obviously 
in week two, you never assume anything. You never think that what's true now is going to be true one week, two weeks, three weeks. But right now there are no surprises. And then some of those teams look just as strong or stronger like Alabama with two Tagovailoa quarterback. I mean, they might look even stronger than they've been in a while, especially with, with him at that position. So, you know, overall nationally, it's it's kind of like it's it's the same old. It's the same thing as it was last year. No, no real big surprises. Yeah, so kind of touched on the rough pockets of the Big Ten this past weekend and some of the performances that might have been concerning. Just overall, has the conference looked maybe less powerful or strong than you expected entering the season? I know you said there haven't been any big surprises, but uh, there was a lot of hype that, you know, those top five teams in the Big Ten, all of them could compete for maybe a conference championship, maybe a playoff spot. So has Ohio State's performance, like you said, being so strong, has that offset maybe some of the weaker performances we've seen? What's what's your overall impression of uh, the conference, even though it is early, just through two weeks? Here? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the, the poll rate. I mean, we've still got three Big Ten teams in the top 11 of the AP rankings right now. So, you know, I, I, I think there's certainly strength and playoff contenders at the top. I don't see anything – with Wisconsin that dissuades me from thinking that they are a strong contender to win the division, finish undefeated, win a Big Ten championship game, be in the playoff. I mean, they might be a work in progress in some areas, but to me there's no red, red alert that sounded in the first couple weeks with them. Uh, same thing with Ohio State. I mean, we'll see this weekend against TCU, but any issues we might have thought there were there were with Urban Meyer's absence and just the logistics of that and how they'd respond not too much of a question there. I mean, they didn't look great defensively in week 1, but obviously week 2 give up a field goal. There doesn't seem to be much of a problem there and like you said, Penn State answered some questions too. Michigan State's got some work to do, but I think you've got, you know, three really strong teams um at the top. I don't I haven't seen anything after two weeks, maybe with the exception of just Penn State kind of getting off to a slower start than you thought, that dissuades me from thinking that, that they can be strong teams pushing for spots in Indy, pushing for spots in the playoff later. Yeah, so you touched on it earlier a little bit. How about Herm Edwards off to the good start at Arizona State and Kevin Sumlin, the one off to the bad start at Arizona? Yeah, it kind of flipped it on its head. Uh, you know, Kevin Sumlin comes in and he has, I mean, I remember Khalil Tate was sort of subtweeting or not so subtweeting the idea of Kenya Matalolo coming there and bringing in an option offense and he didn't want to run the option. Um, they bring in Kevin Sumlin who seems to have a tailor-made offense and a quarterback tailor-made for it. Khalil Tate, Sports Illustrated cover boy, Heisman Trophy, preseason favorite, and they've just kind of fallen flat on their face in the first two weeks. It's the first time Kevin Sumlin's been 0-2 as a head coach. I think it's the first time he's been 0-2 as a coach at any position on any team in like since maybe his like second or third year when he was at Wyoming or something, some, there's some odd stat like that. It's been a while. And then you had Herm Edwards, who everyone thought was just a lunatic hire, um, with a pretty strong-looking Arizona State team, uh, 2-0 now, um, beating Michigan State at home. I-, I wonder how long it can last, because if you look at who Arizona State plays down the line, I think they're on the road at Colorado – um, I, read it, I wrote it down here. On the road at Colorado, USC, and Arizona, they're at Washington, Oregon, as crossover game. So, you know, it, it's a good start. I think, you know, Kevin Sumlin can recover from this over time. People are just going to have to be more patient with him maybe than they thought they would have to be, although 
patience is not a virtue for many sports college sports fans. But you know, for Herm, I think he needed it. I think he needed a really good start to prove this wasn't just some sort of cockamamie hire out of nowhere. Um, sort of establish some viability right from the start. We'll see if he can continue it because that their schedule is not real easy. I mean, Colorado is a really good team. USC, as as rough as it looked for them against Stanford, that's not going to be an easy game um, at USC. And then obviously Washington and Oregon are going to be tough. So we'll see how long they can sustain it. But I think it's almost more important that Herm Edwards got off to this start so that we're not all talking about how terrible hire this was for a while. Even if he winds up losing a couple of these games down the road, I think people see it as being off to an acceptable start at least. Is that game more about Arizona State or, or is there concern for you with Michigan State? Uh, it's very rare that schools do well on, yeah. on the West Coast. But, yeah. uh, you know, again, Michigan State was expected to be good this year. So was it more about Arizona State for you or, or was it Michigan State's struggles? Yeah, I, mean, I think probably a little bit of both. I think Arizona State's pretty good. I mean, Manny Wilkins is a, is a good quarterback, and they have weapons. He can, he can get the ball to some playmakers for them. But if you look at Michigan State, they still can't really run the ball. The offensive line is still a question. They're not getting after the quarterback. The pass rush just isn't there. The red zone offense needs work. I think they have like four field goals versus five touchdowns and ten red zone trips. It's just sort of not the, the – you know the, you want to be a little bit more lethal down there in those situations. So I, I think there's some concern. You know, you can't take credit away from Arizona State, but – a lot there's a so much more that Michigan State could do or should be doing that you have to wonder you know how long how much more time they need to kind of get their act together I, mean, I know they have a bye week this weekend I don't know that you can just figure out pass rush red zone offense improved offensive line in a week three bye week but yeah I mean they're they're probably a little farther behind the curve than most people would have thought based on where they you know, were ranked beginning of the season. I thought they'd be a little farther along. I have a lot of confidence in how they usually bring along offensive linemen, playing a lot of guys early to create depth down the line, but its performance just isn't there. The run game just isn't there. And if the run game's not there for them, everything else kind of doesn't really fall you know, the right way domino-wise. Sure, and we'll take it from East Lansing now to Ann Arbor where – Maybe a little bit of that concern was alleviated that was right. coming out of Ann Arbor. I don't know if you were in the camp of uh, don't panic yet. I know uh, some media members were exercising caution and uh, patient, preaching some patience to, to Michigan fans. Uh, what's your level of concern with Michigan after the Notre Dame game, seeing how Notre Dame performed against Ball State? And uh, was any of that, if you had it, alleviated watching them against Western Michigan? Yeah, I, I, I still think you know the, the context is Notre Dame. You know, it's it's you play at home against a team that you should beat fairly easily, and you do that. You know, high marks for executing what you should do. Um, also, what you should have done if you were a real viable top ten playoff type contender is is be better against Notre Dame than you were in Week One. I, I get that it's tough. That's a, a home opener at night for Notre Dame. There's gonna be all kinds of emotion. I think the 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 emotional carryover probably hurt Notre Dame even last weekend where they beat Ball State by eight at home um, in a game they were favored, I think, at least by like four or five touchdowns in. Um, I, I, I still think the context for Michigan is Notre Dame and how much better you can get against quality teams coming up. Um, I don't think, you know, Shea Patterson, I'm looking at the numbers right now, yeah, three touchdown passes, um, 12, 17, 125 yards, that to me an efficient night for sure you know crazy you know statement game 
Not sure I'm there with that yet. But I don't know that I would have expected him to have that statement game in the first game. I'm sure Michigan fans hope to, but look, it's your first game for this team, in this program, in this system. You're on the road against a pretty pretty solid Notre Dame team. I, I don't know that the bar was set exceptionally high for me with Shea Patterson game one, but Michigan needed to be better than they were in game one. And, and I, I think I'm going to hold off on saying everything's fixed, everything's fine, until they, you know maybe the next quality opponent comes around. Let's see how far they've come then. All right, and they'll remain under that microscope for sure. Uh, I want to keep in the East now uh, before we get into the West a little bit and touch on the start that Maryland's got off to because I think it's definitely worthy. Yeah, really. And you know, just considering everything they've gone through, controversy surrounding that program and the tragedy that occurred there, it sounds like you're surprised at how good the Terps have been so far. I, I, thought, I thought they would be a wreck. I, I thought that usually historically when you make coaching changes that late outside of the usual hiring and firing cycle it just doesn't work i mean we at time there's there's at least five or six examples over the last five or ten years of changes made that late bringing in interim guys bringing guys you know way late in the game where the season just it's anywhere from just middling to awful when that happens because of the chaos that it creates but so for Maryland to even be coherent enough to keep it close against Texas, let alone beat them in week one, was amazing. Um, I thought that week two was an interesting test because they were riding that emotional high in week one. And even though Bowling Green's not that good, going on the road uh, in week two after that emotional – do you ride the emotional roller coaster? They didn't. You know, emphatic win in week two. I mean, this is a team that could be 4-0 going into the Michigan game couple weeks i mean i don't think that's even a stretch with temple and minnesota at home the next two weeks so basically matt canada might be coaching himself into a head coaching job i mean if they make a bowl game given everything that they've been through given you know their schedule what division they're in he he might i don't know what arguments you would make against him being the head coach because you just even if you get rid of dj durkin and you want a clean slate based on what's alleged to have happened matt canada hasn't been there Matt Cannon just came in this offseason. Right. He's not like a long-time P.J. Fleck, uh, sorry, uh, D.J. Durkin um, acolyte or anything right. like that. So he gives you, not only is he performing now and bringing this team through all this chaos, he does kind of give you that clean slate. So we'll see. I mean, they, they're in line for a 4-0 start and going into a huge game in Michigan in a few weeks. And, again, if he gets to six or seven wins, they could play playing a bowl game. Man, I don't. I think Matt Canada might be your permanent Maryland head coach. Yeah, I feel good for the players, and, and it's been a nice story to follow so far and uh, see how it proceeds. And I want to kick it over to the West now with, I think, the biggest story this weekend was, uh, at least from you know the engagement we were monitoring on social media, the interest level was the highest at Nebraska. And mm-hmm. um, Scott Frost's debut after being washed out week one and the hype surrounding Adrian Martinez before yeah. he had to leave that game due to injury. So I want to get your thoughts on – not only Scott Frost's debut, but Adrian Martinez's debut because, I mean, I was really impressed just by his overall look. I know he had some mistakes, but I wanted to get your initial reaction to uh, the true freshmen. Yeah, that was that was a really tough game for Nebraska, I thought, because Colorado's good. Uh, Steven Montez is a really good quarterback, and they had, I think, their first game, I mean, they had like a 200-yard rusher, a 100-yard receiver. Montez threw four touchdowns. I don't know how good Colorado State really is, but... I mean, Colorado put a hurt on them. And I thought when you don't play a game one, when you have a game one that was canceled like Nebraska, 
you want to get out all the kinks before you play such a good team. You have no on-ramp against Colorado. I thought that was a really tough situation for Nebraska to be in. So to kind of, even though you're at home, to, to really play it that tight against a good Colorado team, I think was a good sign because you didn't have that on-ramp. Um, I think Adrian Martinez, I, to me, every rep he gets, as with any young quarterback, it's going to be better, which is why it's so curious to me how how it'll go this week now i mean if, if, if you have a freshman quarterback who's day-to-day how is he getting prepared it's it's not it's one thing to have a senior who's who's hurt who's been through it a little bit who's got the reps under his belt and knows how to prepare you might be able to run him out there on game day and be confident that he knows what he's doing you know adrian martinez you have to let him work through successes and mistakes and those successes and mistakes come on saturday but they also come on sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday how much work is he getting on Monday through Friday this week before this next game? Um, it'll be real interesting to me to see how, how he develops with this injury and how Nebraska can sort of get itself ready if he's not really going to be taking a whole lot of reps this week. I guess we'll just have to wait and see into the weekend. Yeah, and just the fact that the injury wasn't season-ending and, and devastating. I mean, right. that could have been awful for his development, for you know, could have set the program back a little bit, but I'm glad to see. I know Nebraska fans are really happy, too, to see that he uh, should be back sooner than later. Let's move over to the Big Ten West now before looking ahead to this upcoming weekend. Iowa and Wisconsin, uh, you know, kind of quietly, even though Iowa did have a uh, rivalry game where right. Iowa State was jacked up as a big win over Iowa State, and that's a Iowa State program that's on the rise. Uh, looks like Iowa and Wisconsin are heading for an early season showdown, not this weekend, but the next weekend at, at Kinnick Stadium that could potentially determine the, the course of the Big Ten West. So it's still over a week away at this point. But do you think it's these two teams at the top of the West and then a drop-off at this point? At this point, I'd probably say yes, pending Nebraska's quarterback situation. Um, I, again, I like what I saw against Colorado for Nebraska in game one. Um, with Iowa, I, you know, I, I think it's tough to see to get the right context for them right now because they, you know, 10 points in two games is not a lot of points to give up in two games. I mean, that's a really impressive defensive effort. But Northern Illinois scored six at home against Utah last weekend. We don't know what to think of Iowa State that much because they, too, had a canceled first game. So we don't know where they are, and they're going to play Oklahoma this weekend. Maybe we'll get a better idea of how impressive it was to hold Iowa State to three points. So, you know, credit where credit's due. Iowa's playing some really, really good defense. I don't quite know the context of their success yet. I don't know how really good those wins were based on what we've seen offensively from Northern Illinois in, in their second game and based on kind of what we haven't seen from Iowa State yet. So I'm still keeping Wisconsin at the top of that pecking order. But if this Iowa defense is this for real, um, even if the offense is not going to quite chug along as efficiently, um, that's going to give them a chance against Wisconsin in a couple weeks in Kinnick. And look, Iowa's schedule is, is favorable. You get Wisconsin at home. Your toughest road game is Penn State. Um, they they have a schedule made to to be in the mix until the end if if they are in fact as good as they've looked the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin's off to a historic start, really, and you know, like you said, kind of at the top of the show, nothing really to discourage you or, or sour right. you know anyone in Wisconsin. So looking forward to that that matchup. And uh, one one other team that defense has looked really impressive, and I know they're two and zero start. Maybe not as high profile as some other schools, but Minnesota's looked really good, and, and Antoine Winfield Jr. has been electric for them. He's turned in two of the best plays I've ever seen. So I, I don't know, uh, you know, how far they can go with a, a offense that's kind of in question. Right. But 
I think you got to be impressed with their defense so far. Yeah, I, I think that the defense is maybe going to have to carry them a little bit. I mean, you've got a true freshman quarterback, and now you've got your workhorse running back Rodney Smith out for the rest of the right. year with with another knee injury. Um, it, you you become a team where your defense better be really good. I, I would have thought, like we talked about, who was in that upper tier. Maybe Minnesota could have snuck in that conversation. Maybe they're the the two and zero, the quote unquote surprising two and zero Big Ten team. You might have been most optimistic about with Rodney Smith in the mix, riding a good defense and a good running game. But you know, minus the reliable running game, um, you're going to need some pretty spectacular defense to hang around. I think. Right. And, I mean, they held a Fresno State team that scored seventy nine the week before to uh, to only I believe. 21 points, 20 points, so uh, impressive there, but like you said, it's going to be a struggle without uh, one of their biggest playmakers. Brian, let's look ahead to week three now, um, and like we did at the top of the show, we'll start with the, the Big Ten slate, and I think we have to probably start in Jerry World, right, with the match coming <laughs> up there? Yeah, I mean, it, TCU's defense is going to be an interesting test. Um, they, they've got, I think I think their stat is 31 third downs attempted by their opponents and seven third downs converted by their opponents. So I'm not real sure that Ohio State is going to be looking at another 77 or 52 points. Um, I wrote this down. Corey Bethley, they have a sophomore defensive tackle, three sacks in two games, four sacks in two games, four four tackles for loss, three sacks already. I wrote it down. I had to double-check my numbers. But I think they're going to have to have their best offensive game plan to date, I don't know that TCU is is you know top of the Big Twelve caliber. I don't know if they're really a playoff caliber team. I know they're in the top twenty five right now. I think Ohio State should win this game, but they're going to have to grind it out a little more. I mean, it, again, TCU's stingy. Don't allow a lot of play yards per play. They get off the field on third down defensively. They get after the quarterback pretty well so far. So. It, it, you're going to need a pretty good offensive game plan and a pretty well-executed plan in order to like create some separation against TCU this weekend. So you'd say your biggest concern then would be the just the overall strength of TCU defense if you're Ohio State. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm too worried about you know the, getting overpowered by TCU's offense, but you've had such an easy go of it offensively the first couple weeks. Like you almost hope there would be some adversity you could work through to practice for it because you're going to face that this weekend. You know, outside of the comforts of home, I know it's not a true home game for TCU, but you're not at home. You know, you're, you're down there where it's going to be at least, you know, half or maybe more full of TCU fans. You're going to have, you know, some issues to work through. Has Ohio State seen any offensive adversity yet? I don't know. Um, so we'll see how they react this weekend because I think TCU is going to make them work for it. Sure. And this opinion uh, will probably be determined by this game this weekend or at least shaped a little bit by it. But has Ohio State looked to you like – so far, they're on the same level as teams you mentioned, like Alabama and Georgia, just just look so strong right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, it might be Alabama and Georgia at the top in terms of just you know sheer talent and and you know <laughs> sort of just reaching into the cupboard and pulling out another guy when one guy goes down. That's just another top shelf talent. But if I mean, if anybody's going to match those teams talent wise, Ohio State's one of them. Um, so I haven't seen anything dissuade me right now. I guess the big question with Ohio State again was how much of all the the chaos around the program, the issues with Urban Meyer, how is that going to affect the day-to-day logistics and the winning and losing? I mean, I know that's in the larger picture maybe a small thing and, and justifiably so. 
Um, but they are playing football. So if we're talking about the football aspect of it alone, how is that going to be impacted? And so far it hasn't been. Um, and if that stays the case, and they're going to have to answer questions about Urban Meyer all year long, but if they can, if that somehow doesn't become some sort of issue for them, I mean, they certainly have the talent to stay, you know, to be equal to anybody in the country, really. All right, well, that Ohio State game, TCU should be a fun one. Down in Arlington, definitely looking forward to it. And, um, you know, it's kind of a light slate in the Big Ten this weekend as we gear up for conference play here. But one that does intrigue me is Mizzou visiting Purdue. And Purdue got a big win last year down in Columbia. Mizzou's coming in now at 2-0 to a 0-2 Purdue team that's taken two tough, close losses. In your opinion, is this a significant game in the Jeff Brown era? Is there any extra importance in this one? Or do you think Purdue's trajectory, no matter the outcome Saturday, is generally unchanged uh, in year two under Brown here? I don't think you can afford to get run off the field by Mizzou this weekend and not take a little bit of a hit in terms of confidence. Um, And I think the problem there for Purdue is that some self-destruction with penalties and some pretty loose pass defense – um, so far, which Jeff Brom complained about this week and talked about a lot this week at his press conference, those things are coming up against Mizzou and Drew Locke. And Drew Locke has completed 75% of his passes and thrown for eight touchdowns. He's got a receiver named Emmanuel Hall who averages 24 yards a catch. You do not want to be, bang, you do not want to be playing bad pass defense against Drew Locke and Missouri. So there is, it is a, I think it's a crucial moment for Purdue to show some week-to-week improvement and not get blown out and blown apart, ripped up by this Drew Locke, Missouri passing game. If that happens, you know, I, I you know, I, the sun doesn't, the sun, you know, the, the world doesn't end, you know, but you don't want at this point, after a couple of disappointing losses to start the season, just get railroaded right off the field and show no marked improvement. You're going to take it, your confidence, the overall confidence, the overall confidence in the direction of your program, it takes a little hit at that point. If you're competitive and you show week-to-week improvement, I think people will recognize that. I mean, Drew Locke is good. Missouri's offense is good. If you can find some answers, even maybe even not in a successful effort overall in terms of winning, uh, I think people will, should be able to see that. I appreciate the pun, intentional or not, railroaded there. Purdue, <laughs> That's so. right. Unintentional, but... <laughs> All right, so looking ahead, uh, outside of the Big Ten this weekend, and I mean maybe even in the, the some of the weather concerns, the cancellations coming in due to Hurricane Florence, we'll have to keep an eye on Maryland, um, and then obviously some of the other games with uh, schedules subject to change. But I'm, I'm hearing there's a pretty big matchup in the SEC coming up this <laughs> weekend, so uh, get into that one a little Slightly. bit if you could. Yeah, I mean I, LSU Auburn to me, the, the loser is has a real long climb back to the playoff, um, and I think the imperatives on Auburn at this point because one you're at home two you're on the road later this season against georgia and alabama lsu gets georgia and alabama at home actually have mississippi state right in the middle of a three-game stretch with georgia mississippi state and alabama with the bye week in there um i think it's a it's a real imperative game for auburn not to let slip at home because i don't know where you make up ground later on or you're, you're certainly your room for error is almost zero at that point, whereas LSU can kind of like, you know, go back to Death Valley and sort of hunker down and hope that everything's okay. I think I think it comes down to quarterbacks. You know, both these teams defend the run sort of equally ferociously. Um, and so 
can you, who can step up at quarterback and make plays? And Jarrett Stidham's got two touchdown passes this year, but to me, he's still Jarrett Stidham. He's still a better option than Joe Burrow. So I'm, I'm I, th- I would think Stidham is the difference in this game, opening things up a little bit, just a little bit against LSU's defense. That probably gives Auburn enough to win. But hey, maybe I mean maybe this is Coach O's magic year. Maybe he's got the magic touch. And I mean, if you get a road win at Auburn early on, I mean, you are in good shape if you're LSU. Yeah, a long way to go, but if Big Ten fans want to see a game with potential playoff implications, yeah, that's definitely the one sure. uh, to keep an eye on. And uh, Brian, a lot of good stuff, and just want to do one more thing before I let you go. Uh, each week I try and pick out a moment that's you know maybe more unique or heartwarming or kooky that comes off the field and uh, touch on it. I don't know if, if anything jumps to your head uh, off, the, off the top, but one that I saw was Tom Allen uh, running off the field after the Indiana win. I don't know if you saw this, but he uh, was high fiving the students and he kicked the trash can over. Did you see that when he was? I, I did. Field? I did not. I'll have to show one. you the clip. It was uh, it was one of those things that you know you, you think the game's over and that's all there is to see. But he runs off, high fives uh, the student section, and then there's a trash can kind of in his way, and he just kicks it out of the way. And it was it was one of those viral moments. That's, that's one that stood out to me. I don't know if you have anything that uh, stood out to you over the the weekend, but um, if you do. Let, let, let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, not not especially. I, I just think there was a lot of emotion uh, for Clemson after that win at Texas A&M. It was one of those games, and I'm not saying anything that's, like, super original here, but you almost felt like both programs took necessary steps forward. Um, you know, Cle- Clemson's an interesting case just because they're a national title contender working with a two-quarterback system. I mean, there is uncertainty there. They let the guy play who's playing better between Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence – Played a lot early that game. Kelly Bryant finished it out and, by all accounts, was super emotional running off the field himself, you know, celebrating with the Clemson fans who were down there. Um, I'd be interested to see how that dynamic plays out for the rest of the year. And, you know, for Jimbo Fisher, uh, I I think there's some – he probably wouldn't want to hear it. I'm sure Texas A&M fans don't want to hear it, but there's some validation in coming that close in year one against a team like Clemson, which is just loaded at pretty much every position. So, I mean, that – that was a pretty crackling atmosphere and a pretty great game to watch. And sort of the, the emotional reactions on both sides afterwards kind of struck me, especially seeing, you know, seeing Kelly Bryant wait there until Dabo Swinney finished talking and then reading the reports about him running off the field emotional. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that dynamic plays out for the rest of the year. Yeah, so it makes uh, college football great, yeah. in my opinion, so – uh, Brian, once again, a lot of great stuff. Really appreciate you sitting down with me. Good to finally uh, get in the same room with you and, and absolutely, man. Chat it up, and uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, college football going forward. It should be fun. Cool, appreciate it, man. Yep. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot once again to Brian for joining me. And like I kind of mentioned at the top of the show, I highly recommend a subscription to the Athletic because you know, what I do after every college football weekend is, is pull up some of those articles from some of the really talented writers and it's kind of the best way just to get that weekend round up and, and read some really quality stuff so definitely subscribe to the athletic if you haven't already and uh we'll keep moving here with a regular stat head segment with harold shelton so h and i will dive in here in a minute to the uh past weekends and we'll do so with a greater nod to the numbers and what it kind of all means as we continue to move along here in college football season so Without further ado, let's get to our regular stat head segment with our resident stat head, Harold Shelton. All right, once again, I'm very pleased to be joined by BTN's resident stat head, Harold Shelton. Back after week two, uh, looking ahead to week three, 
Yeah, let's get into it a little bit here. All right, sounds good. All right, so I, I got to start. I'm sorry uh, with your alma mater. I know it's not much consolation, but last week, if people listened to last week, you did say that you were worried about how Michigan State would perform on the road, and those fears did come to pass. So just give me a reaction. What happened in that game, especially for those who didn't uh, stay up late till whatever, 1 or 2 a.m. to watch it? Yeah, it was certainly a missed opportunity. Um, I actually thought they played much better early in the game. I thought the defense played pretty well, uh, so they got worn down in the fourth quarter. Uh, again, red zone offense continues to be an issue. Uh, you know, they got in the red zone four times, scored one touchdown, threw another costly interception. Um, they still continue to struggle to run the ball. Um, there's a couple of, you know, third and short plays where you only need one or two yards, and the old Michigan State would just line up play big boy football and get it and not only are they not getting the yards they're losing yards on these plays so the offensive line has been a huge issue through the first two games level of concern going forward for you for Michigan State uh if I had to put on a one at ten I'd probably say it's about a five still um I thought this was a losable game um it turned out to be that way I think the bye week does come at a really good time because they're extremely banged up uh didn't think they would miss Cole Chewins as much as they have, but hopefully another week and a half will allow him to be back for conference play. If, if they can get through that Indiana game next week, they get Central Michigan after that. They get Northwestern at home, who's been struggling after that. So still a lot of time left. I'd say after the Indiana game, we'll probably know a little bit more. All right, let's get some more negatives out of the way first. A uh, couple of concerning losses if you're in the, the Big Ten West, you know, Northwestern. Failed at Duke once again, and Purdue was upset by Eastern Michigan. Um, do these losses, you know, have you a little more pessimistic as we move along here in regards to the Big Ten West, or is it, is it just one of those things that you know maybe we saw Northwestern lose Duke last year and still have a good season? Uh, Purdue, you know, obviously still has a lot of season in front of it. So, what's your level of concern regarding those two teams and, and how they looked last weekend? Yeah, with Northwestern, I think it's kind of a wait and see issue I feel like their hands are kind of tied because as Pat Fitzgerald said post game you know the decision to play the quarterbacks isn't really up to him the doctors pretty much tell him hey this is how much Thorson can play and so he you know his hand is forced when TJ Green has to come in the game and play we'll see if that continues for the rest of the season or how long it continues in general um, but as of right now, the way their offense is, I don't know if there's really much they can do to fix it. I still think the defense will be fine as the season goes along. they got a really good front seven. But the way that they play offense, you know, they like to run the ball. They don't have a lot of explosive plays. And when stuff broke down in the past, Thorson would, would be a guy that would be able to create some things on his own. You know, you can run QB draw with him. He would be great in the red zone. And they just can't do that right now. And – Regarding Purdue, what has troubled you most with them in their own two start? I mean, Northwestern, I don't think there's any shame in losing to them game one, but obviously did not expect Jeff Brom to Jeff Brom and Purdue to lose to Eastern Michigan last weekend, I don't think. Purdue should be 2-0. I mean, simple and plain, they should be 2-0, but they're 0-2, and a big reason why is because they just continue to shoot themselves in the foot. You know, nine penalties again. Um, they had the costly penalty uh, unsportsmanlike after they took the lead, didn't allow them to go for two, so they wind up kicking an extra point, and they wind up getting a personal foul after getting a sack on third down, which kept Eastern Michigan's drive alive, and they lose by one. 
you know, the week before it was the same thing. They get a costly personal foul penalty, which allowed Northwestern to run the clock out. So they just continue to, you know, shoot themselves in the foot. They don't do the little things. I mean, they're two and six in one possession games under Brom since he's been there. And, you know, it's one of those things where it takes a while to develop a culture. And, you know, I think Purdue's just kind of experiences some growing pains there. Between that and the quarterback issue, that's still unsettled. I'm sure Brahma like to pick one guy, but one guy continues to, you know, play well one week and not play well the next, and so his hand is kind of tied there too. Um, I think they could be fine going forward talent-wise, but they just got to stop killing themselves. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, those, those penalties really could have determined either of those games, and those ones just had you scratching your head. Uh, we'll flip it now to some more positive performances. A couple of teams that struggled week one had – Nice bounce back games. Uh, definitely look like against inferior opponents with Michigan, playing at Western Michigan, uh, and then a little more impressive I think was Purdue. Or I'm sorry, Penn State beating up on Pitt, which uh, I know you mentioned before we got started here. Didn't expect the beat down to be that severe. So might be those teams. Maybe it's 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 someone else. But which trends have you more optimistic as we move along here uh, in the early season regarding Big Ten teams? Uh, I stay. I'm still higher on Penn State than Michigan. Um, I think the big issue for Penn State was we just didn't know what the play, who the playmakers would be to replace Saquon and Gasicki and Deshaun Hamilton. And we're starting to get some of those answers with Miles Sanders. You know, they're getting the ball to K.J. Hamler a lot as a receiver and as a runner, and he's returning kicks, so they're getting the ball in his hands as much as possible. I mean, you can see all of the talent that James Franklin has brought in. It's starting to pay off. They've got a lot of weapons, and, you know, in a rivalry game, you know, against a team that really, really hates you in bad conditions, you know, you're struggling for a while, you're only up eight, and to just completely dominate the second half the way they did was impressive. How about Michigan throwing a uh, touchdown to a wide receiver the first time in, what was it, over a year, right? Yeah, I mean, they went 50 quarters without a touchdown pass to a wide receiver, which is absolutely crazy to me. But you can see they have more – of a downfield threat with Shea Patterson back there. You know, whether it was John O'Corn or Wilton Spade or Brandon Peters, they just didn't really get the ball downfield a lot. And I think part of it, too, is Patterson has the ability to roll out and make plays on the run. And so when you have that element, especially with a really good run game like they had last week, you might see more of that, especially in non-conference play. This is kind of what they do. I mean, they can completely blow teams out that are not at their level. It's when they play the ranked teams is when the offense seems to sputter. Right, and we'll see how Patterson in the past game evolved as you know, he settles in and gets more comfortable and see if it can progress past the struggles they've had in years past under Harbaugh. Um, moving on now, Maryland, I think, has to be given some credit just for how they've looked. Obviously, the upset of Texas warranted that credit, but they kept their foot on the, the gas, especially after a slow first half last week, and, and they've shown a really... Uh, strong ability to run the ball. So do you think this is something that can continue longer than it did last season? Obviously they had a lot of injuries to overcome last season um, and we saw kind of similar trends this year in the early season. Do you think their high-powered offense will continue if they can stay healthy? Well, a run game always travels and so the fact that they were able to rotate so many different guys in and so many were effective is a very good sign. You know, last year was pretty much Ty Johnson with some Lorenzo Harrison mixed in. 
Now you add Anthony McFarlane. Kasim can run it a little bit. They've done a bunch of jet sweeps with Jay Sean Jones. So they have a lot of weapons. They're very talented at the skill positions. Uh, the, the offensive line is getting better. And the thing is, Kasim Hill really hasn't played well, and they're still 2-0. So you wonder, once he gets more experience, you know, you figure that he would get better with a really good OC coach, him in Matt Canada. I mean, he's only started four games. Like, he's a four-star recruit, a big-time recruit, so I would expect him to get better, and as he gets better, they can get better. Some other 2-0 teams, Indiana, I think, deserves some credit for beating another Power 5 team in Virginia, and really just some slop in Bloomington last weekend. And got a kick out of Tom Allen running to the, awesome. the sidelines, kicking, <laughs> kicking over trash cans and all that. And, but then moving to some contenders in the West, I mean, Iowa and Wisconsin have looked pretty solid overall, I think. Iowa got the job done against a rival, albeit without much offense to speak of. But you look over at Wisconsin, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is off to a great historic start, really, in his sophomore season in Really, the only uh, running back that has rivaled that performance in Badger history is Ron Dane. So, can you kind of put that start in perspective that Jonathan Taylor's gotten off to, and, and kind of tie it into Wisconsin's strong start that they've honestly done, you know, gotten off to pretty quietly here. Yeah, John, the Jonathan Taylor story is always so interesting because he entered camp as a freshman. I'd say when we were there in the fall, uh, fall camp last August, he was probably the third guy. And then he goes crazy in their first scrimmage. The legend grows. Remember, he didn't start on opening day. Like, he was the third guy. And then he came in when they struggled against Utah State. And then he kind of broke that game open. And then he's taken off ever since. So now he's already run for 2,000 yards in his career. And so he, he and Ron Dane are the only Wisconsin guys to do that in 16 games or fewer. And you see last week, career day, 33 carries. 253 yards, three touchdowns. Still a little concerned with ball security. He lost another fumble. I would say that's the one thing that he really needs to work on. He's got he's fumbled ten times, lost eight of them. You know that's that's a pretty big number. Last year they had to take him out of some games when they got in the red zone just because of the ball security. Uh, it was good to see that he still got over 20 carries after the fumble this past week. I mean, he I would say he's probably one of the Heisman favorites at this point. Definitely, and we'll uh, address one more Big Ten performance before moving on to next weekend, and that's Adrian Martinez's debut in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was really impressed with just how he looked. You know, he has the look of a big-time quarterback. He's fluid, he moves well, has a you know, strong arm, definitely, and then unfortunately was cut short by injury. And as you know, we're two days, a few days removed now from it. The prognosis is a little better than it might have looked on the field. So, just watching Adrian Martinez, what were your initial thoughts, and and how did his debut stack up against other freshman quarterbacks you've seen over the years? Ah, uh, he was electric. I mean, he can do it all. Um, and you could see even early on, um, you know, he was running all over the place. He throws a really nice deep ball. Even after he fumbled and they went down 14-0, he was just California cool on the sideline, just got the guys to rally around him, which is really hard to do as a true freshman. But the fact that he was able to run away from defenders on a long touchdown run, he should have had even bigger numbers than what he had. I mean, there was a couple touchdown passes that were dropped, and he still had over 300 yards and three touchdowns. So the fact that they were able to do that, first start, new offense, I mean – he, you can see why he won the job, and you can see why Frost went after him. I mean, he was a Tennessee commit, 
And then once Frost got to Nebraska, he switched over. And, and maybe that's his new Mackenzie Milton from UCF. We'll see. Right. If he can stay healthy, I think he's got huge things ahead of him. And Absolutely. The man flipped into the end zone on his first career touchdown as a quarterback. Like, you don't see right. guys that aren't skill players like wide receivers, running backs. He's got do a that. lot Just of swag to him. Yeah. A lot it, of swag to him. I kind of jumped out of my seat a little bit when he did that. Uh, all right. Before we wrap up, H, let's talk about the big matchup this weekend. And that's Ohio State and TCU. We haven't really touched on Ohio State yet just because they handled Rutgers like they were supposed to. So they got a uh, top 15 TCU team in Jerry World. To be honest, I don't really know much about TCU. But I do know Ohio State has a potent offense. And uh, I know you were a little concerned with their defense last week but or the week before that. But um, it's going to be a, a titanic early season matchup, one of the biggest ones we've seen in the first three weeks so far. So what are your thoughts on – Ohio State's chances, and what do you know about TCU as uh, they head down to Dallas? Well, TCU's got the best defense in the Big 12. I mean, Gary Patterson has been around for a long, long time. Um, you know, they've always been very sound defensively under him. Um, Ohio State, though, I mean, that offense is just at a different level right now. Now, again, TCU, with the defense being the best in the Big 12, you know, they see a lot of explosive offenses. But I don't know if they see a vertical pass game like Ohio State will bring to them. I mean, Dwayne Haskins has been unreal so far. 79% completion rate, nine touchdowns, just one pick. And unlike JT Barrett, he's throwing the ball downfield with way more accuracy. I mean, the two touchdowns to Johnny Dixon last week were just in stride. I mean, his the offense looks great. Ryan Day has done a really good job. It's almost like you don't even know Urban Meyer isn't out there on game day. Right, and as rocky as the start has been for the conference, I think, as a whole, just with some of the uncertainty, I think Ohio State has, has put a stamp on the early season so far, and you know they have a chance to make a big statement down in Arlington coming up. And one thing before I let you go, H, is what I want to try to do every week is just looking ahead. Since you are the stat head, I want to get a feel for what we should be looking out for behind the numbers each weekend. So what are some maybe milestones or landmark stats or – Anything we should keep an eye on um, related to the numbers behind the game coming up this weekend that might be surpassed or approached? Well, it was a couple things. Um, On the Penn State side, kind of a sneaky thing I didn't really notice until I was looking. They've got five straight games running for at least 200 yards, which is the second longest active streak in the country. That should absolutely (laughs) go to six considering they play Kent State this week. Right. They've also been great at home, and they've won 19 straight against unranked teams, so I would expect all of those streaks to continue. Uh, And for Illinois, their opponent, South Florida, I mean, that is a potent, potent offense. I mean, they lead the country. I mean, they have the longest active streak for scoring uh, 20-plus points. I believe it's at 32 straight games now, and so I don't know if Illinois would be able to stop them. They couldn't last year down in Tampa. Uh, you know, we'll see it if it's any different at Soldier Field. At Soldier Field grass, it's the only thing that can slow down South Florida if Illinois can. So we'll have to see. They could use some rain there too. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Lovey's back at uh, his old stomping ground. So, yep. be interesting weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, once again, as always, a lot of fun sitting down with you. And same time, same place next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. One more shout out. Thanks again to Brian and Harold for joining me. A lot of fun talking to those guys and uh, really starting to settle in here to college football season. It's the second football-focused episode of the season. Obviously, we're heading into week three, so we'll keep pumping these out and uh, I'll keep having a lot of fun watching college football, talking about it, and getting these episodes out to you guys. Hopefully, uh, you enjoy listening to them as much as we enjoy making them. And uh, speaking of the 
production side of things, just got to give a shout out to my producer, Julie Bronder, who's uh, filling in and doing a great job. And uh, my other assistant producer, Colleen Degnan, who's been a big help as well. Shout out to both of them. And um, thanks, as always, to everyone out there for listening. Same time, same place next week. We'll come at you midweek with another guest and um, some more quality college football discussion. And until then, we'll talk to everyone next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.